So we're in a great day. Isn't it a great day to be alive? Great day to be alive. Great day to serve God. Great day to serve God. I want you to open your Bible with me in Ephesians 1 verse 7. I want to share something I felt the Lord has just put on my heart to do two or three messages on it. And I want to speak about the blood of Jesus. I want to talk about the blood of Jesus. Now, I reckon there's a heap of people who haven't got a clue what it is apart from it being a song, and we talk about it in church. And, uh, and uh, you know, I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Yeah, we know there's songs, but I want us to get some understanding. Without understanding, you won't have faith. And uh, it's absolutely certain that if you're going to build a building, you need to make sure you've got something holding it up. And if the foundation's not much good, then when it gets a shake, down she goes. And that's what we saw in Christchurch. We saw uh, that, and it was actually completely predictable, by the way. The surveyors had surveyed the whole area before the town plan was put out and they advanced and built. The, the, the geologists already knew where the places were that were unstable and what would happen if you built on there. About 10 years ago, a report was put out what would happen, and it was almost accurate to exactly the locations and whatever and exactly what happened. So isn't it amazing? And yet, in spite of the knowledge... It didn't make any difference. People still built there. Isn't that amazing? That amazing sort of thing. So buildings have to have foundations. Your life with God needs certain foundations in it. I, my experience in working with Christians over a long period of time is many struggle consistently in their intimacy with God and consistently in believing that God will answer their prayers. In fact, probably the most common problem that people face is a sense of not being good enough that somehow I'm not good enough, that somehow there's something wrong with me, and somehow when I pray, it doesn't look like God's going to answer. This is very common among Christians, and it could well be that that's what you're living with. And if you're living with this, it's because there's some foundations are not built and established in your life. And until they are, let me tell you this, you will continue in what you're struggling with. It will not change. More meetings won't solve it. More Bible studies won't solve it. It requires revelation to your heart and then application to your life of some things. Now, I want to pick up one thing that is absolutely foundational to building your relationship with God. And it's also my observation over counseling people for many years that people start with it and shift from it. And this is a huge consequence in terms of how it works out in our Christian life. Notice what it says here in Ephesians 1 verse 7. We'll just keep coming back to this one over two or three Sundays. In Him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to Look at that. Isn't that amazing? The riches, not poverty, rich. God is rich in what? Rich in kindness. Grace is about kindness. It's about favor. It's about God being good to you. God is very, very, very wealthy in grace. See? So the problem is, what's all this thing about redemption and the blood? Now, if you go down to church, you don't, out of church and in the streets, you don't hear people talk about redemption. You don't even hear them talking about the blood, and if you mention it, they probably eyes will raise. So there's no concept out there. Uh, the only place you'd hear about redemption, perhaps, would be if you went to the bank and talked about your mortgage, 
and uh, they would want you to redeem your mortgage. So they do know what redemption is in a financial sense. But I found that a lot of the church, if I was to ask everyone to say, what do you mean I'm redeemed? Uh, we would probably struggle with getting clarity about what that is and what that means and why it's important. So I want to lay a foundation around this uh, and, and see what the blood of Jesus has accomplished for us and how specifically you apply it to your life. Because what Jesus has done for us, we know he died for the sins of the world. A lot of the world isn't saved. Have you noticed? That means that all that God has done is ineffective because they haven't applied it to their life. And so God has done many things for us, but if we don't know what he's done and then apply it, it's in the application, the change takes place. And if you don't know how to apply the blood to your life and, and where to apply it, blood of Jesus is to be applied to at least three areas of our life to bring a change. And Jesus shed his blood in a whole number of different ways to deal with every possible condition of humanity. And so he didn't just shed his blood and that's it. There's quite a lot more to it. As we'll see, it's very, very foundational. So what I want to do to, to get this started, I want to just start off really right down before we even talk about the blood and why we need the blood, we need to look at what it is that is the problem. Because if you don't know what problem you're trying to fix, then you won't embrace the solution. So we say Jesus is a saviour. In fact, the name Jesus means saviour. But why do you need to be saved? And do you really need to be saved? And why is it people go out on the streets and speak to people? Why are they so passionate to do that? What is there about it? Because if you listen to a lot of people, you get the impression that almost like somehow it's all going to work out all right for everyone, no matter what. Actually, nothing could be further from the truth. And I want to lay out some foundation. The first one I want to talk about is God has established consequences for sin. God has established consequences for the sin. Now, I want you to listen to this part very clearly, get very carefully, because I want to show that there are two major things that God has established. The first one we're going to see is that he's established certain consequences. The thing about consequences we'll see in a moment, you can absolutely do nothing about them. That's not the bit you get involved in. That's what you experience as a result of making decisions. So if we, if we, we see, for example, in John 1, we find in the first three verses, it tells us that everything that was made or everything we can see that was made was made by him. And as believers, we would understand creation has been made by him. Now, let's just, I'm going to keep appealing to things you know to get you to look a, a little above it to things you're not so sure of. So if I design something, I'm a manufacturer and I design something, I decide how it will work because I'm the designer. Uh, Steve Jobs designed an iPad. He's the one who knows how the iPad works and it can't do anything more than he put into it. He designed it. So you can either use it for what it was intended or if you don't know what it's intended for, you'll end up abusing it and smashing it or destroying it, because you just didn't know what to do with it. It's designed with certain things built into it. In other words, the person who designed it makes the rules about how it's to be used, and makes the rules about how it works, and what will make it work well, and how you get the best out of it. You don't get a say in that. You just either buy in or don't buy in. Any ideas? And it's quite foundational on this. So we need to see that God created the physical world. He set in place physical laws. Now, scientists have got no idea why the laws are there. They just know there are laws, and by observation, they can work out the laws. For example, there's a law of gravity. Now, no one knows 
what really creates the law of gravity. They don't understand fully what is the cause of it. They don't even understand fully the forces behind it. It's just a law of gravity which they can describe and that we can work with. Now, you can decide I don't believe in the law of gravity. It doesn't really matter whether you believe it or not. It's still in place. It's still there. It's what holds you to the earth. It's what keep, makes planes crash if they, don't run out, if they run out of power. It's, it, there's a law of gravity. And whether you believe in it or not is irrelevant. It's still there and it operates. Holds our, our solar system in place. So God has set the law in there and he set many physical laws in place. For example, he set in the law of sowing and reaping. So we know and we depend on it in this area. We sow uh, products and we expect to reap. We sow vegetables, we expect to reap. We sow, we expect to reap. So there are, we actually run our life without even thinking, but there are laws that have to be, that, that are in place. Okay, we've got that one. Now, so we know that God has set physical laws. Now, God has also set spiritual laws in place. This is where the contention comes. God has set spiritual laws in place. Now, you cannot change the law of gravity. You either understand it and work with it, or you violate it and it costs you something. It's as simple as that. So God has also set in place spirit laws. He set in place principles he doesn't continually intervene. You know, they see something happening over and there's a big flood and they say, oh, it's an act of God. No, it's not an act of God at all. It's actually the consequence of certain laws being in place. It's the consequence of neglect of the environment many times. And ultimately, as we'll see, it's the consequence of sin. When we look and say, well, there's this big thing happened and there was this earthquake and tsunami and all that kind of thing. And that was a big act of God. That wasn't an act of God. It's actually the earth croaking, groaning and creaking because it's under the bondage of sin. Sin has affected the whole environment. And we often don't understand that the problems that we see in the world are direct consequence of sin. And if we don't understand this, we won't get the remedy for it, nor even see why the remedy is needed. So firstly, I've got to just establish a little bit around this area here. So God has also set laws. I want you to have a look with me in Genesis 2 verse 15. And I want to look at one law that God has set in place. Now, whether you agree with this law is irrelevant. It's just like the law of gravity, it's there. And you either agree with it and learn how to work with what God says, or you violate it and, 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 and have consequences. So number one, God, the one who does the creating, establishes the rules. That's the first thing we've seen. The second thing is God has established certain consequences of sin. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse uh, 15 through to verse 17. Now the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. So God created man, gave him an assignment. He gave us, he, he created all of us with an assignment, which only God can give to us. It's only discovered as we spend connection with him. And it involves guarding something and also cultivating it. And the Lord God commanded the man, the first man, of every tree of the fruit of the garden you may freely eat, tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat it, you shall die. Here's the law. Violate God's law and you die. It's as simple as that. Violate the law and you die. So God gave man freedom. God gave man responsibility. God gave him ability to make free choices. However, God describes the consequences. So for example, with the law of gravity. Now, there's a law of gravity. It's very clear. There's an attractive force pulls any object down. It's proportional to so and so and masses and so on. And so here it is, the law of gravity. If I go over to this edge here, I'll just take it off here, not too, don't want to fall too far. Take it from here. If I step out into the space, you all know exactly what's going to happen. You know, if I just take a step out here, just off here, then just in a moment, there's nothing. I'm going to go straight down. 
You know that. You're convinced of it. Now, I can't do anything to change that. I wish it could be different. I could say, well, I don't believe in it. I don't agree with it. I think this is a religious concept, gravity. And you see, I step off and it doesn't make any difference. Now, imagine that was a very tall building. Suppose now it's a skyscraper, and I try the same thing now up a skyscraper. Now I'm in deep trouble. Because here's the thing. I have power to make the choice, step or not step, but definitely no power over the consequence. So in other words, God sets consequences in motion. You get to make the choices. You have total free will on all the choices of your life. God loves you enough. He loves me enough. He loves all of us enough to say, you get to run your life the way you choose. How about that? Isn't that great? Because I love you, and I'm never going to impose my will on you. I'm never going to force anything on you. I am never going to make you do anything. I'm going to attract you with love. And if you want to walk in a loving relationship with me, here's the deal. If you do life my way connected to me, you'll live. But if you cut off from me and you do life your own way, you'll die. You get to choose. Live or die. Simple as that. And that's what sin is about. Sin, I'll define it, sin is literally transgressing or breaking the law of God, the Bible tells us. When you break the laws of God, that is what sin is about. He says, don't steal. If you steal something, hold something back, mislead someone as to the value of something, and rip them off or cheat them, that is sin. There is a consequence. You may delay the consequence, hide the consequence, conceal it for a little while, but there's always a consequence. And I'll show you there are several consequences of sin that you may not have thought about or considered, but it's always there. Whether you believe in it or not, it's as inevitable as stepping off a building. Just the same. So, so if I step off a building, you all know what's going to happen. I'm going to fall on the ground. I'll hit splat on the ground. And if I can still breathe a few things, I could be saying something like this. It's not my fault, you know. No one told me about this. Not my fault. Axes are stupid that they don't make the world buildings wider so I could walk further out. Now you see, now that's now you understand how stupid that reasoning is, but when it comes to sin, we apply that kind of reasoning. When it comes to these things that God talks about as sin. So sin, let's get it clear, sin is whenever you break God's law. Now, whether you know the laws there or not is irrelevant. It's like when you drive down the road. It actually is. It says over there, it says 30K. So go down there at 70K. Whether you saw the sign is around, the cops there, you're done. You're guilty. You broke the law. You paid the price. It's simple as that. Don't complain. Don't make excuses. You just did, did the crime, do the time. That's kind of how it works. We understand. And something about that appeals to us. Have you noticed that? Especially when it's someone else that did the crime. We think they should do the time. It really appeals to us that. You notice your young kids feel that way? They'll always do that. They'll point out someone else's crime to make sure that they do their time. Have you noticed that they do that as well? There's an inbuilt sense of justice in us. And it's bigger than that. It's actually part of godliness. We have a sense of justice in us. We, we hate to think that people who, who do terrible crimes get away with it. It's not right. It's unjust. It should, something should be done. In fact, our nation would be an unsafe place if there wasn't a consequence for bad actions. Imagine if everyone could drive around, do whatever they wanted, dump people off, knock people, mug people, all kind of, and there was no, they could do it with impunity, no consequence. What an unsafe place it would be. It would be hopeless. You couldn't run it. It would be absolute chaos and disorder. 
So we live in our life off this expectation that if something is wrong, there should be a consequence. And if you want to raise good children, make them understand there are consequences for their choices. Give them the freedom to choose, but make sure they understand the consequences and make sure they experience it or you don't help them at all. Okay, so we've got the deal now. God makes the rules. He's got rules that govern the natural law, rules that govern spiritual world and our interactions, relationships, how we do life. And this is what he says very clearly. If you sin, if sin is the transgression of the law, sin's breaking God's laws, or put it this way, sin is saying, yeah, I know you're God, but I'm going my way. That's sin. And, and sin is a little more than it's going my way, and then it's doing it my way, which means what's the best for me? So sin in its full manifestation is just living your life without God, going your way, doing it your way for your advantage, and using people to get where you want to get. That's sin. Now, it's got many ways it shows up, but that's what it is. And God says this about it. There's a consequence. You get to choose, but not the freedom what happens. Now, you see, the problem is we just don't believe in this. And so we've got some certain approaches to sin. So what we tend to do is this. We tend to find ways of trying to avoid the consequence. So first of all, we'll just not call it sin. I have a problem. See, sin's got a remedy. It's got God's remedy. A problem? A problem usually comes from sin. So what you're dealing with is the fruit. The root is usually sin. Doing it your own way for your own advantage, ignoring God and hurting someone on the way. That's usually what is sin. So when people come, usually what they do, what you find is that people try to find a way to get rid of this concept of sin. Now in the new age, they totally reject God and an ultimate moral authority. Therefore, there's no such thing as sin, nor failure. So everything is smoothed over, so no one has to own, I have sinned. And it really sounds very appealing, because man becomes his own God, his own Redeemer, his own Savior. This works kind of like this. Well, I can work on myself to improve myself. That's the core of it. The trouble is, you can't deal with sin just by working on yourself. That's what we're going to get to redemption in a moment. Because you have to see what redemption means. And you'll see how there's two ways you're either going to redeem yourself, one or the other. You either do God's way or your way. <laughs> okay, so sin's violating God's law. Okay, now, now let's get this. So, what, what ha- so I can deny it. I can blame someone else. I can say I don't believe in it. I can say it's just a Christian junkie thing to make you feel guilty. I can try and find all kinds of ways to try and persuade you sin isn't sin and dress it up so it looks better than it is, but actually sin is sin. Okay, and sin has a consequence, death. So what does that look like? What does death look like? Because you notice that Adam didn't immediately die. He lived quite a long time before he died. So when God says that you'll die, he says certain things are going to happen around your life as a consequence of your actions. You see, once you realize this, most believers, most Christians, can't connect what they're experiencing now to what they chose to do a little while ago. That's why they don't get to repent of sin. And that's why we don't fear sin, because this next bit, we don't really believe. But let me tell you what it means. This is what sin means. Every time, every situation, every circumstance that this happens, 
This is the consequence. These are the consequences. I've identified these ones. There may be others, but these are, these are good enough to me. And number one is a separation from God or a loss of connection with God. You lose, you become disconnected from God. The wage of sin is death. What it means is you are disconnected relationally. You've disconnected from God. You rejected him. He didn't move. You moved. You disconnected when you sinned. Okay, then. and what that leaves is a spiritual emptiness. Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. So sin pays up, and it's, it's just always the same. It's never inflated. It's always been the same. You actually get disconnected. Some of us in the church today, the thing we're struggling, the disconnection we're struggling, I'll just put it really simply, it's due to sin in the heart. Oh, well, I don't know about sin. I don't feel I've got any sin going on. That doesn't mean there isn't any, just because you can't recognize it. That's why people counsel. We show what causes, and people come, you know what they come? They can't see what's going on. This is terrible, this is things of my life. The fruit. And the counselor, if they're good counselor, will just sift through it all, pull it all apart, get right down, and guess what's underneath it? Sin. Every time. And as soon as they own the sin, you can, and do God's remedy, you get free. See, so, so the first thing said, so we've got to see that they need to deal with it. So first is separation from God. So mostly you find when people come to us with problems, they're disconnected from God. They don't hear God. They're feeling disconnected. They come to God. It's not that I don't feel God anymore. It's God, it's, God's a long way off. So they talk at God. God, he's a long way off. See, because the heart's not clean and clear and close and intimate. Second thing that we experience is judgment. God must Hold us to account for what we've done. He's just God. He's a holy God. So he does hold all of us to account. In fact, the Bible is very clear in Romans 14, I think, verse 10. It tells us that all, 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 no exceptions, give account of ourselves to God. No exceptions. You come into the world one at a time. We leave one at a time. We stand before God one at a time. We get to be judged one at a time. So there's no we and us in that. It's personal. Very personal. Very personal. Every one of us. You have an appointment one day. Fortunately, if you're a believer in Christ, the issue of sin and its judgment is over. What's now in mind will be how you've handled your stewardship of your walk with God and whether you've produced anything for his kingdom. Okay, then. so judgment. And, and so the Bible's very clear. I won't go into it all, but Matthew 25, verse 41, he said, he said, separate the sheep from the goats and the sheep go into the kingdom and the goats... Go into a fire prepared, not for man, but for the devil and his angels. So believe me, there is an eternal consequence of sin. Mark 9 talks about it being tormented day and night and night and day forever. There is a consequence. And that's quite good that there's a consequence. I feel happy that God is a just God now. That the world actually, ultimately, it's all right. Because God's in charge and everyone's going to get their dues. Everyone. They may not get it now, but one day they get their dues. Everyone gets to be called up front. Everyone gets to be found out. Everyone. There's nothing hidden from God. So that's not bad, isn't it? So maybe someone pulls one over you and gets away with it or gets away with it in front of the law. But long term, they never get away with it. And they never get away with it eternally. But then actually something else happens too. Is the third consequence. Third consequence of sinners. And this is why God, that's why you don't have to look at God when you see a major tragedy or something. It's not God intervening, judging the nation or anything like that. He doesn't do, that's very rare he does that. 
What actually is the thing that's happening is reaping consequences. So God set a law in place, naturally and spiritually, found in Galatians 6, what a man sows, that he reaps. Sow, reap, sow, reap. The problem you're facing today probably was sown a while ago. So when we counsel people, we often look right back to the roots of how they started and whether you look at the you trace it right back. One of the first places you look is in the family. Did it come right there, right at the beginning of the family? Did it grow in the person's life? And here they are full of a mess, and somewhere there's sin and they're reaping. You see, if you if you start to tell a lie, you think, oh, I got away with it. Oh, it's another one. I got away with it, got away with it, got away with it. Got away with it. I'll get away with it. I'm just quite good. I'll get away with it. And then I think, oh well, you know, I'll just say sorry before I die and get right with God and I'll be right. Now, listen, God's got another process in place, and it's called sowing and reaping. So now what you begin to find is you've got all these problems of breakdowns of trust and relationships everywhere. Life is actually going in a mess, and you can't get to figure it right back to your sin, which has created the problem. So counseling always directs people back to what they may be reaping from what they've sown. For example, we found in marriages, a lot of people are reaping the consequence of sowing judgment against a father and a mother. Bitterness is in the heart. And now what's in the family, what's in the marriage now, what's coming up in their children is the same thing that grew in their heart. They never saw it happening because they didn't recognize it or feel it. But when the fruit is there, if you see it's an orange tree, it, an orange is on it, it's an orange tree. If you see that there's bitter fruit, there's definitely a bitter root. Absolutely. Sin has got consequences. Now here's the, here's the fourth one. This is the grand slammer of it all. This is why God doesn't have to intervene all the time to keep the world going, because he set laws. So here's the law. So you, you, you sin, you cut off from God. Two, sin, you have consequences. Three, uh, sin, there's actually a reaping. So whatever you keep doing, you're going to reap, reap, reap. And you reap more than what you sowed. Isn't that nice? Hey? It makes sin really scary. So if I sowed a little bit of judgment in my background of my parents, I got a whole heap of reaping coming up. And that problem you have now, maybe that whole lot of reaping is because you didn't notice a little bit of sinning back there. But does that mean it didn't happen? Oh no, it happened. Does that mean you can fix it up without solving that problem? No, you can't. See, God just set it in place. See, one of the things that's happening in the earth today is the earth is reaping centuries of the power of sin operating. And so then the, the world is creaking and groaning and protesting. They point it's global warming is the problem. Yeah, that doesn't explain all the wars, you know. Doesn't explain all the earthquakes either. And explain lots of things. In fact, there's lots of things can't be explained except what the Bible says, which is the whole earth groans under the burden of sin. So the earth is in turmoil and people are in turmoil. Why are there wars when we're so educated? Because sin is the problem. And here's the last one. This is the grand slammer of all. God has set laws in, in place. You notice what he said, that the wages of sin is death. Yeah? Okay, now here's the thing. Get this one. You, you, I want you to listen on it. So in the area I sin, I disconnect my life from God. So I go from light into, and guess who's waiting there to latch onto me? Demonic spirits. And God has allowed them and permitted them to operate everywhere that there's violation of his law. What a grand slam. Man, you can't escape. There is no escaping. Why do people get tormented with demons? 
find out there's a sin there somewhere. Always. So the problems people have. Now how the demons torment them? Infirmities, sicknesses, poverty, setbacks. You know, work so hard in this when you should be getting ahead. Should be just really making the breakthrough. Suddenly it all falls over and you can't work out why. And you build again another four or five years. Suddenly it all falls over again. And there you are, pain and bitter and angry and frustrated. Why? Somewhere in the background, sin is working. It's alive. It's not a thing. It's something that lives, that works. And the Bible calls it the law of sin and death it needs a remedy and you don't remedy it by calling it something else I have a problem it doesn't remedy it it just disguises it but you know you hit the root of it there'll be a problem there see so here's the, and here's how the extent of it here's the bit I, now this bit here just to make you feel happy that you're not the only one Romans 3.23 says all have sinned so even all of us have sinned so and uh, you've heard some of us testify of some of our shortfallings and failings and how God's had to help us. All have sinned. There are no exceptions. All have sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. So we need a remedy to sin. Now, you can try all kinds of remedies for all kinds of things. None, nothing will be solved permanently unless we address the root cause. It's as simple as that. So there's an answer to the root cause. So what do we need to do for the root cause? <laughs> for the root cause. All right, then we've got to find a remedy. So, and here's the remedy. What can I do to get out of the mess? I want out of the mess. So what can I do? Well, the first thing you can try is a little bit of religion. And religion has this in common. This is all religions everywhere, and you may have your own form of religion. No guarantee that being here, you don't have a whole heap of religion around your life. Okay? And, and all religions everywhere, the core defining thing is, what do you do about this problem of sin that won't go away? How do we solve it? So here's the remedies we come up. Well, we'll pray some prayers. Great, but that won't solve the sin problem. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll do some good things. I really try hard to live a good life. And four times out of five, I did. But that fifth time was a bit of a worry. Fifth time, I really lost it. I made the promise I wouldn't get angry. And the fifth time, I blew it. And it was worse then than it's ever been before. But I'll try harder again. So we've got what we call a self-help, self-improvement program. You go on the internet, they're everywhere. Improve yourself. Improve this, improve that, improve that. Get another book. How to. Seven steps to this, eight steps to that, 21 steps to that. God has how you remember it all anyway. <laughs> and what you do find is there's not a lot of improving takes place. There's certain upskilling takes place, yes. But the core problem doesn't get dealt with any time. Because the core problem is a spiritual problem needing a spiritual remedy. And there is a spiritual remedy. So we will try all our remedies first. So we'll try a little bit of religion, a church, we'll sing services, we'll get involved in some community work. Oh, community work, that'll be the way. I'll do some community work. I know what I'll do. I'll go and I'll get involved with one of the things in the community. I'll work hard. And I'm such a good person, such an outstanding person in the community. It's a shame you found out about that sin I was hiding. <laughs> but, but this is how I'm going to work it out. I'm going to have this little scales, and my sin will be on one side, and my good deeds are on the other side. I'll do a juggling act. The problem is I never know how much, how bad my badness is, and whether the goodness is going to balance it up. That's the problem. Are you doing enough good to balance up all the other stuff? Well, of course you think, well, I wouldn't be like that. Oh, yes, you are. Far more than you realize it. I'll show you how it shows up in Christians. Today, glory to God, I'm doing well. I've had a great prayer time. So I feel close to God. And tomorrow, 
I didn't have a prayer time. I actually really blew it. So I'll come to God now. Oh, God. God. And, and you see, so I've got no foundation at all. I'm still thinking that my works make the difference in the relationship with God. But if I did well today or blew it today is irrelevant. God has got a way to come near and solve my problem. And it's not me working harder and trying harder. And so you've got to get that out of your system. We're all wired to perform better. Wired to try harder, perform better. It's not the answer. So the, the, the deal then is, how can I get free of the sin which has snared me? It's right through my whole makeup. It's in my fabric. You don't even have to tell kids how to be selfish. They're just selfish automatically. Have you noticed that? So God's established a remedy. And interesting, you can't even, you can't even use money to buy the problem of sin away. In Psalm 49, tells us verse 6 and 7, it said, man's soul is so precious, I don't have money in the world to buy it. So you can't solve it with money. You can't put enough money to solve the sin problem. You can't do anything like that. So what can we do? Well, here's the answer. God has established a way to deal with it. Now, remember, God set in the physical laws. God set in the spiritual laws. God set in the consequences of sin. God also set in the remedy for it. So, And the remedy is called redemption. Now, you don't hear that word too often, so we'll just explain the word so we know what it is. The process of dealing with the, the issue of sin is called redemption. I am redeemed. Right, see, now what does that mean? Well, we sing the song, but what does redeem mean? Since you don't hear the word too often, I want to get a good, clear definition. So how many of you saw on the news a little while ago that the uh, Somalia, some of the pirates there captured some people uh, that were in the boats offshore? Have you even noticed that? They've caught some ships and they've captured all kinds of people. Now, any time someone fronted up with the money and gave the money to the pirate, and then the pirate released them and they got set free, that is redeemed. That is redeemed. A lot of people aren't redeemed. The ships are still in bondage. People are still in bondage. The crew's still in bondage. They're all still in captivity. They're in captivity to someone evil. And when you pay up, you pay up the money, you get free. That's what it is. So to redeem someone is to pay the ransom. Simply, that's all it means. It means a ransom. It's a price paid to liberate a captive. Save them out of the power of someone else which they couldn't do themselves. So, in other words, you get possession back. Now, you may have already owned it, but you get it back when you pay the money. God owned us because he created us, but he had to pay, he had to pay a price to get us back. And the problem with, this is what the problem of sin. Sin puts you in captivity, and you haven't got the power to get yourself free. Religion and all the other activities and works are about attempting to get free. It cannot do it. Not by the works. No works we can do get us free. We need God's provision. You can't save yourself. I know that's a blow. That is a bitter blow. Because many of us have been doing all we can to save ourselves for many years. Saving yourself is called control. Called control, controlling your world, controlling your emotions, controlling your inner life, controlling every kind of aspect of your life. That's what's saving yourself. It's because underneath you believe it's unsafe out there. The only one to be trusted is me. So I will save myself the very best I can. It's okay to do that until you found that there's a savior. And uh, Matthew 1, it says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So we need to be redeemed. We need a redeemer. You need a redeemer. You cannot save yourself. You can't do enough good works to go into heaven. You actually have to have someone help you out. That's a terrible thing to feel you're that lost. I hope it's sinking in that we're that lost. That there is such no hope to deal with the issue of sin. 
Our communities have been trying for years to make it a better place. It isn't getting better. There's no hope with all the programs. The core issue is not dealt with, which is sin. And there's only one remedy for sin. And fortunately, I'm glad you asked what it was because Jesus tells us. Let's have a look in the Bible, Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus 17. So God who set the laws about sin set the laws about how to deal with it as well. Isn't that nice that he did that? He laid it out. Leviticus 17 verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given the blood of an animal on the altar, or I've given it or the blood, to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Now, that word atonement, well, there's another funny word. Uh, any of you see the film, a movie, Atonement? Girl did this terrible lie and wrecked someone's life and spent all her life in guilt trying to find a way to atone for what she had done. But she never was able to, and the story, she was starting to get Alzheimer's, and she tried to write her story out, but she changed the story to try and make it have a happy ending. Actually, she couldn't atone for her sin because the people had died, and she couldn't get free of the guilt. So atonement means to make two at one that weren't one before, at one. It means an at one So what it means when you atone some, something is that you pay the price to get the relationship to come back together so the two people are one again. So redemption and atonement are very similar things. Redemption, you pay the price to get someone out of someone's captivity, and atonement is you pay the price to make two people one. So it's all together. A redemption, atonement, similar thing. A price is paid that enables a person to get totally out of a snare and become one with the person they're separated from. So whenever you hear the word redemption, that's what it means. Someone's paying a price. He is my redeemer. That means he pays the price. He has the checkbook. He pays the price every time. Every time. Every time. Every time. He pays the price. Okay then. So God set the ruler. He set the law up that if you sin, you die. He also set the law up if, you, if, you, if you've sinned. and say you get free. You need blood. This is a, and there's another gory thing about Christianity. It's a blood religion. It is a blood religion. In other words, you can't buy your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. You just need blood. The way God said. That's humbling because surely there must be something I can do to help out in this thing. I've got to submit to God's way. And God's way is the blood. He said, the atonement's in the blood. Notice if we read in Exodus chapter 12 and verse uh, Exodus chapter 12, where the, uh, Egyptian, where the uh, people of God were coming out of captivity and the angel of death was bringing judgment on the uh, Egyptians. And he said in verse 22, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, strike the lintel, strike the two doorposts with the blood and don't go out. Stay under the blood. Stay in the house. You've got to realize what's happening now is there's an angel of death going, that means you're going to die if you go outside the house. You're going to die if you haven't got a remedy. Now that's a scary place to be. Imagine in a nation and you're going to die unless someone finds an antidote. You know, there's a movie coming out and it's probably, I can't remember quite the name, but it's all about a, a virus, the pandemic thing that gets going and the virus spreads and they can't do anything. No remedy. Sheer panic when people find there's no remedy. Imagine if there's a pandemic and it spreads and you can't, what, you, you know what you'll be looking for? You're going to die unless you get the remedy. See, and that's what, this is what this is about. These people are all about to die. They were about to die. Can you imagine going to lose someone you love and they're going to die? You could do nothing about it except God's remedy. And God gave them revelation. Here's the remedy. Take a lamb. A perfect lamb, a lamb without spot. Keep the lamb four days, inspect the lamb, slay the lamb, take the blood. 
blood of the lamb. Apply the blood to the lintel. Apply it to the doorpost. And stay in the house under the blood. And the destroyer seeing the blood and your faith in it will pass. Oh, they were, they were very glad to have that kind of inside information, weren't they? Because they heard the cries through the streets as family after family after family was struck dead by the judgment of God. What was the remedy? It was always the blood. That was it. See, when God set up, if you sin, you'll die, he said, I know what you're going to do. I know exactly what's going to happen. I've already planned the remedy. The remedy is the blood. And actually, it's not even the blood of an animal. It's the blood of my son. And I've already planned it all out before you get down this track. I planned it out that he already is willing to go even before you come up with your sin ideas, even before you go down messing it all up for everyone. I've already got a plan for a solution. It's called the blood of Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So before the world even began, God had a plan to solve it. Anything that could come up. Anything that could come up. He figured out what man was likely to come up with, and he came up with a better plan called the blood of Jesus, the lamb that was slain. Why is it so significant? You see, the blood of animals was only a temporary thing. It was never that that could keep a person free or get them redeemed. It sufficed for one year, then they had to do it all again because it kept sinning. But there's another offering. Now, why the blood of Jesus? Why his blood had to be shed? Very simply, in a person's blood, the, as far as I understand it, the, the, the main part of the blood comes from the DNA of the father. The mother's DNA doesn't come into it. There's a separation of the mother's bloodstream and the father and, and the child's bloodstream. It's always kept separate. The two bloodstreams are completely separate. Although there's, air, uh, there's few, food goes and nutrition goes from one to the other. No blood exchange. And so the DNA or the, the shaping of the blood comes from the father. And of course, Jesus, remember his birth, that the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 1, came on Mary and she conceived by the Holy Ghost. She got the DNA of God planted into her so she never had the sinful nature. He never had the sinful nature of Adam. His blood was pure. His blood was without any sin. His blood was totally clean. He lived his life right before God. And so he was the lamb that was to be slain. His blood was to be shed. His blood breaks curses. His blood breaks demonic powers. His blood breaks the hold of sin. His blood breaks iniquity. His blood breaks transgression. His blood does it. There ain't no other way. You've got to know not only what it does, but that how to do it. And I'll share that another time. Let me just finish. Just quote these verses. In 1 Peter 1 verse 17 to 18 says, You are redeemed. Not with corruptible things like money, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Highly valuable. Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In Him we have redemption. We have purchased out of sin, its power, influence of devils, curses, everything. We are bought out by the blood. What a great deal. This is getting better every verse you read it. Romans 3, 23, 25, it says that God has sent Jesus to be the mercy seat so by his blood and faith in it, we would be free of sin. Revelations 5, oh God, you have redeemed us out of every nation. So it's not a white man's religion. It's a Jewish religion and it's God's idea. Blood, Jesus' blood, no other remedy. So what about the other faiths? Well, I'm sorry, they don't go anywhere. Because the one thing they can't bring you is to the Father. Why can't they bring you to the Father? Because they can't deal with sin. There's only one remedy for sin. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. 
and we must not only know what it does, but also how to apply it to our life. In, 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 and I'll finish with this last verse, and just, just flow into it. Colossians says this. It says the most amazing thing, chapter 2, verse 14 15. It says, Jesus, at his death, when he shed his blood, took away the list of every sin recorded in our past, present, and future against us. How did he do it? His blood. His blood, because he provided the remedy. The blood canceled all the sin. And so he was able to take away the list. And then the Bible says he disarmed devils. Now, I don't know whether you've thought about that. What does it take to disarm a devil? To take away the power they have to afflict your life. The blood. You've got to deal with sin. The only, armor they, the only weapons they have are the ones we give them by sinning. We've got to remove it by bringing our sin into the light and to the cross and to the blood. And he triumphed over them. They never figured when, he, when they killed him what he was up to. Devil wasn't that smart. Says if they figured what he was up to, they'd have never crucified him. They, God hid the plan of the cross totally. And after Jesus had died and given up his life, then the devils realized, oh no, we've actually brought ourselves down. Think about that. We inspired these men to whip him and torture him and put him on a cross and put him to death. Instead, we found ourselves cooperating with God's plan, and now the very thing we initiated to do has now become the very thing that's caused our defeat. Isn't this a stunning wisdom of God? Christ has made for us redemption. And so now you are redeemed from every curse, poverty, sickness, failure, loneliness, emptiness, a meaningless life, redeemed. Someone paid the price. A redeemer paid the price so that I could walk in blessing, favor, and have the Holy Ghost in my life. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Oh my, what a great thing God has done for us. How we need to be grateful. How you need to really constantly say, constantly say any sin, however little, has an effect. Call it the butterfly effect. One little thing and it magnifies, it goes everywhere. Affects all kinds of stuff. But get on top of it quick. Don't call it by some other name. Don't say it didn't matter. Get a sharp, sensitive conscience with the Holy Ghost. Say, Holy Ghost! Oh, it was wrong. I didn't say the truth. I did. This was wrong. That was the wrong. That was a bad. I bring it to the cross. And I declare I am guilty. But Jesus has redeemed me. His blood has broken the power of the sin so I can just step back boldly into the presence of God again like it had never happened. That's what justified means. Just like it never happened and I can come back, walk in His presence, enjoy Him again. What an amazing thing is the blood of Jesus. Oh my, I'm going to share with you a bit more about what He's done through His blood so you understand it. I want to share how to apply it because there's things, if you don't apply this truth to your life, You'll always walk condemned. You never walk free. And you'll think you're just doing your best. And you probably are. But you're just missing what could be better, God's way. Father, we thank you. I just say thank you. My Redeemer lives. I got so touched, I wept this morning. As I felt the fresh reality of the need for a Redeemer. Jesus 
My Redeemer lives. He paid the price. And I'll honor Him by believing, dealing with sin, and holding on to His promise.